Yes! Welcome back to Go Deep the Podcast, a member of Go Deep Productions, where we have an opinion like we have a clue. Thank you for coming back. And here's your host, John Nothing Doe. All right, folks, welcome back to the next episode of Go Deep Productions. Yes, we are a member of Go Deep the Podcast. On today's show, we have a very special guest coming out of Indonesia. His name is Frank Amadio. And he has a very special message, and he's running a very special uh, project on the show. Frank, how are you, pal? Hi, I'm John. I'm fine. Thank you very much, and thank you for the uh, kind, generous uh, introduction and for the excellent pronunciation of my name. <laughs> I uh, I literally looked in the mirror about 30 <laughs> times today, 30 times yesterday, and I still got it wrong, but I was close, <laughs> you know? Uh, that's brilliant, mate. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So you've been running a really special program over in Indonesia, and before we go right mm-hmm. into that that passion project, I want to call it, let's, okay. let's, let's start from the beginning, because you have a bit of a history. History, right so originally yeah. you are from england correct correct okay so you a little bit of your background is you grew up on the streets of england T- can you tell me what that was like for you so yeah i grew up in uh, south london actually it's very strange because when i speak to people that are not from england i my my accent automatic, automatically adjusts so you're not really hearing my true south london accent or sash as we would say. Okay. But uh, yeah, I grew up on the streets of South London, born in 1970, so I'm 53 years old, I think. My, my daughter keeps correcting me, but I think I'm 53. And uh, yeah, I, let's say it wasn't the easiest start to life. I grew up in a, a broken home. I didn't really have um, parents as such that were there full time. It was uh, very tough for me growing up. We grew up on a council estate, which I know that uh, Americans call project housing. I'm not sure what you guys call it in Canada. Metro housing, uh, so, I think, in a lot of parts. Okay, yep. Yeah. So, so you know, I witnessed a lot of um, drugs and, and violence and, you know, stabbings and things like that that, you know, children shouldn't see, basically. And I didn't really have parents there to protect me. My mother was um, very ill and my father was just non-existent. So, so, yeah, a rough start to life. But I've never, ever looked at my start of life with any kind of um, regret or feeling victimized. I always saw it something as something that was important for me to go through for me to become the person that I've become. So, yeah. That's perfect. That That's the best way you could ever explain it as far as I'm concerned. The no victim mentality to me is always the best one because you always get more out of life and you're not living in your past, but you're rather living in the present or maybe even the future in a sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, don't get me wrong. You know, you go through those moments where you feel like, oh, poor me, and why is the world against me, and things like that. But I think it's very important to not get stuck there, to come to a realization that actually what I'm experiencing in life is, how can I put this, is through my through my expression, through my belief, through what I feel. Um, so if I'm feeling a victim, that is exactly what I would experience. If I'm feeling, let's say, positive and happy, regardless of my surroundings, you know, I will feel more positive, more happy. You know, not maybe not 100 percent because maybe I'm living in a, a rough area and tough life is tough. But I will definitely have a, a stronger sense of feeling more calm, more happier, more positive. So so I do believe, you know, that you know, how we think and what we believe plays a very, 
very huge, important role on what we actually experience in life. I uh, I completely agree that almost like when we were off air a couple of days ago and we were speaking, that reminds me of our conversation of um, changing your paradigm. You know, the whole um, Bob Prockner yes. background. If you're not familiar with that, you really got to check out Bob Prockner. It just, uh, yeah. that idea that anything you believe you can see and you can hold in your hands, right? Absolutely. And yes, you're, you're right to bring up Bob Proctor. And I recommend anyone who's listened to this uh, to go out there and get on YouTube and listen to some Bob. You know, there's lots of good free stuff out there. People like Bob Proctor, Joe Dispenza, Bob Lipton, all great people that are really helping other people change the paradigms that are set in their mind, you know, because uh, we we do operate pre-recorded habits or, or messages that we have in our subconscious and, and we're just so oblivious to how they're actually affecting our lives and it, it takes a moment of awareness to, to step back and think, hang about, why is my life like this and why am I thinking like this and why don't I believe in myself and why don't I love myself? And lots of these kinds of questions that I actually, I, I've known about all this stuff for years, but it wasn't till again recently that I've been ready to fully delve into it and fully accept it uh, as a truth. Yes. And I can, I can see how it's already changing my everyday experience and existence, you know, and even within my own home, the few weeks that I've been daily meditating and daily being aware of my thoughts, how it's affected my whole family and, and the atmosphere within the house has completely changed, you know. And this is not just uh, some BS or wishy-washy nonsense. This is actually happening, you know, because um, I'm not someone who would just uh, say these things without actually having real-life experience of it and, and, and feeling it. And so this stuff is real. I, I agree with you. And just looking at, I mean, anybody that's listening may not understand the relevance of why we're going down the path of understanding who you are, Frank, because it really has a lot to do with your passion project that we're about to speak about. Because I think what you've gone through and how you blown up and you made something so big from your experiences to make sure others don't suffer and can move forward and, and not look at the despair and rather look at the possibilities or the opportunities in front of them and that really brings us to your passion project so frank in 2013 you had a uh you created a club it was b24 would you like to explain that for the listener sure no problem so I wouldn't call that B24 a club. I'd say more, it was more of an amateur uh, soccer academy okay. for our North American listeners or football academy for, for the rest of the world. Um, <laughs> that was created uh, because in 2012, my wife and I, my family and I, we moved to an area of Indonesia called Depok in West Java. And where we moved to, we immediately noticed there was a huge waste management problem. And I'm talking about mountainous highs of um, rubbish that had been left there for years to rot. And the local leaders couldn't seem to communicate well enough to get the government to come and collect it. You know, um, yeah. whatever the issues were, there obviously were issues because, like I said, this this build-up of waste was ridiculous to see. And, and sometimes I still see a bit and think, wow, was that really, really there? Was it really that high? Um, so my wife created this uh, program and foundation 
called Bank 24. And uh, we created a small little recycling unit where people uh, around the community could uh, pick up and uh, uh, collect plastic and waste and bring it there to the uh, recycling unit and it would be uh, recycled and they would receive a, um, some money for, for bringing their waste and very quickly we more or less eliminated the waste problem, got rid of all the garbage there, we got the government to help us, uh, we created employment for, for local people and we created an area in that area, a very clean very green because we got people to uh, plant plants and stuff like that uh, area very very quickly within within a few months and all the money that we received from that we pumped back into the local community for projects such as um, yoga classes fitness classes English classes music classes art classes like that something that these uh, low-income, underprivileged communities have never experienced before because no one actually gives them these opportunities. Um, so, so it started from there, and then about a year in, I started noticing certain behavioural patterns amongst the youth here in Indonesia and in that area that up until then I had not really witnessed because Indonesia for me uh, coming from somewhere like I said from a council estate or project housing or metro homes as you say um, yeah. where life was very rough I was used to seeing the rough end of life and people speaking rough and then I came to Indonesia and I found such politeness and patience and even two years in, as I think I explained to you the other day, you know, I'd bring my friends up and say, I, I don't understand, you know, I'm here for two years and I, I haven't even learned one bad word yet, you know. And normally those are the words that you learn straight away when you go yeah. to a new country. Agreed. So it was a culture really based on respect. And then I started noticing these young kids behaving in the opposite way. So speaking rudely, speaking with profanity, getting drunk taking drugs and I'm thinking what the hell is going on here but again just getting on with my life because I think there's a part of me that's still thinking well this is normal but then there's that other part thinking you know it's not normal in Indonesia yeah and then one day um, there was a case where now if I remember correctly it was a 10 children between the ages of 8 and 13 they raped one 12 year old girl and this just like completely shocked me because I thought what's going on this is in Indonesia again unfortunately in the west you know we're kind of used to hearing these stories and, and we can feel sad but there's a kind of number to it all because we hear it so often. Yeah. I've never heard anything like this in Indonesia. So it really rocked me. And so, you know, obviously after the, the police came and all the media and everything dealt with it, we, me and my wife, we got together with local community leaders and we decided that we're going to um, try and speak to the local youth. So we uh, set up a meeting and we got as many youth as we could from around the depot area and we just sat down with them and listen to them and try to understand what it is they're going through and why they're behaving in such a way. And more or less, they were saying, look, we know we're born poor and we know how it is here in Indonesia. So in Indonesia, if you're born poor, yes, you'll go to school, you can go to school, but the quality of education is not the best, you know, because it's just 
local government schools. Yeah. And although there are good government schools, again, it's at that level, it's not the best education. For sure, guaranteed, they will not go to university. So if you don't go to university and get a degree of some sort in, in Indonesia, it's almost impossible that you're going to get a decent job, let's say, in an office as a, I don't know, as a, as a manager or something like that. So they know that their life choices or their career choices are very limited and probably they'll have to do what their parents did, which is, for example, collecting rubbish on the street or standing outside supermarket. What they do is they stand out supermarkets or mini markets and they direct the car where to park and kind of say they're looking after the car while you go shopping and then when you leave you know they expect a tip you know so so those those kind of menial jobs yeah. were what they saw their future and of course there's not much money in that and of course in a, an age of social media where you can literally see everything that's available in the world you know all the greatest things but you can't have access to it of course that can start impacting you and making you feel down and depressed and hopeless so um, I, I was like wow okay these are huge political problems that I personally cannot fix but maybe what we can do here through football which is the number one passion here in Indonesia in terms of sport for sure yeah maybe we can we can create a, a football academy where these kids can come two three times a week and feel loved feel part of the community get uh, proper soccer training or football training through through coaches and receive free uh, football kits and free snacks and, and food and, and free travel to matches and, and to be able to enter competitions and just feel part of the community again, you know, and, and have a place where they can come for two, three hours and just forget how crap life is, you know. Yeah. So we said, okay, let's do that. You know, so all, again, all the money we got from the recycling unit, we pumped into that so literally no one would have to pay for anything and like within a week yeah i'd say a week to two weeks we already had over 100 kids coming to us that's amazing and, and that is that is still going until today again as a very amateur thing it's just there to provide a place for for underprivileged kids to come and have some fun again as i say just forget about the toughness of life amazing and you were saying this started last july and the name of your the club now because it's obviously changed is now the garuda lions fc yes so so what happened then is actually in two so how garuda lions fc came about in about 2017 i actually went on a rare occasion because i was doing like a couple of jobs there working providing for my family really busy so i didn't have much time to focus on the b24 academy and and i had people there who who could focus on it but in about 2017 i went to one of the matches i after the match some of uh, the kids came to me i think it was a couple three or four kids came to me and they were like mr mr because they call westerners here mr or bule and uh, they were like we want to play for indonesia now that's a very general statement and you know you know lots of people kids here can say they want to play for indonesia and all that but it impacted me because i'd spent actually years before going around the villages or kampongs as they call here trying to inspire people to just not accept their lot of being poor and actually try and do something and i believe in indonesia actually there's more freedom 
to do things here than, say, in the West. So, for example, I would say to them, look, guys, you could actually make yourself a little metal grill, which, which they do here, and you can go literally anywhere in Jakarta and grill one chicken and no one's going to come to you and ask for a food and safety certificate. No one's going to ask for any tax or to pay any rent or, or nothing like that. And you can sell that chicken and then the next day you can buy two chickens and the day after that you can buy three chickens. And I try to give them little ideas like that to inspire them to, to, to do something. Yeah. The standard answer is always, I don't have money. I don't have money. Everything equated to not having money. So there was this block. And so for these kids to come to me and say, I want to play for Indonesia, which of course is the highest you can go in football to represent your country. Of course. Without thinking about the, how am I going to do that? Or without using the excuse, I don't have money to do that. That impacted me deeply. And I thought, wow, I, I can work with that mindset, you know, because that's kind of how I feel. You know, I, I don't care about the how it's going to happen or what I don't have available right now. I just want to do this. So I, on the spot, without thinking, I just said to them, right, if you feel like that, I'm going to create you a professional football club, a professional football academy with the best coaches, with the best training, and I will give you the best opportunity to become professional footballers and achieve your dream to play for Indonesia. And then I walked away thinking, oh my God, what have I just said? How am I going to do this? You know? <laughs> but I kind of just said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Unfortunately, not just for me, but for the world, COVID came along and, um, you know, it impacted us all. And I lost all my um, uh, life investment uh, savings and my wife and I left our jobs. And, and it kind of impacted us financially quite quite deeply. But, you know, I'm, I'm not someone to get hooked up on that. Just what was affecting me was as we were coming out of, of COVID, I, I am sitting there as a 52-year-old, as I was last year, thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do with my life now? Because as a foreigner here, I can't even just go and work in Starbucks and just uh, get some money coming in while I figure out what I'm going to do, you know, because I'm not allowed. Yeah. And it was in that moment, I remembered my promise to those kids in 2017 to create a professional football club for them. Yeah. And I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do. And off I went, you know, so, so that's how Garuda Lions came about. Wow, that's amazing. I can't even imagine like when you're down on your luck, it's like you use that. I don't know if it was a, a metaphor or it's like the, the drive that you get taught from that that book. I know I keep going back to Bob Rockner where it's like you don't need right. to you don't need to know the how or the why. You just need to know that you can and you should. Yes, yes. Because I, I think this knowing the how so many of us and I've done it often in my life and spent years on end doing absolutely nothing, procrastinate just because I didn't know how can I do this? You know, how can I become wealthy or how can I become whatever it is you want to achieve? Yeah. And in the end, you know, it, it's not the most important thing. It, the most important thing is actually first knowing what it is you want to do and then just believing that you can do it. And then, you know, the, the universe or life or God, whatever it is you believe in, you know, just presents opportunities through 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 actions as well to you that just start opening doors and and the ball starts rolling you know so for me with Garuda Lions of course I've woke up and I said right I'm going to do this 
this is what I'm going to do. And then I could have just sat there and think, well, how the bloody hell am I going to do that? You know, instead, I just thought, did, uh, what I did was I just got on LinkedIn and I just started messaging the whole football universe. I mean, literally everyone, coaches, players, clubs, the most biggest clubs in the world, you know, just messaging them about what it is I want to do and what it is I want to achieve, you know. Yeah. And from that, I started getting replies. So for every thousand messages I sent, you know, I'd maybe get five, ten replies and start having three, four really decent conversations. And in fact, the first week of me doing this, I managed to get get on a two-hour Zoom meeting with Chelsea Football Club, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world. Wow. Which actually is my club, which I grew up next to the stadium. Yeah. And I just sat there talking about Garuda Lions project and the potential here in Indonesia. You know, very naively. Now I can see how naive it was because I was speaking to these football professionals and, you know, I'm just new to this game. But just purely speaking from a point of pure passion for what it is I want to do and almost ignoring some of the uh, negative comments that would come back to me from them about the potential here in Indonesia and all that, you know. Yeah. And, and so it just showed me that, you know, if I would have stuck, sat here thinking about the how, I wouldn't have had that meeting. I no, you would have been locked up meetings. and you would have almost yeah, been like the locals. Exactly. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be speaking to, to the brilliant John Doe on Go Deep Productions, you know. None <laughs> of this would be happening, you know, if, if, if I got stuck on the how, you know. I just believed, took some action, and it can be a small thing. And, and it's important to repeat it. Yep. That, that's very important. Repetition. Just keep repeating it. Keep repeating. So if you want to wanna get a six-pack, okay, start with 10 sit-ups a day and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. No matter how you feel, you know, just get, just repeat it, repeat it. And even two weeks in, you're going to be much further ahead than you were two weeks ago. So... So these are, you know, these are very important lessons that I learned, understood and learned very quickly. And I can see now how they are actually affecting my whole life. And, and I'd add just one thing. During this process or during the process you're on, it's really important to trust the process. So there will be moments in this process or in the process of achieving your dreams where it feels or it may feel like nothing is happening and you can easily get caught in the panic of that, of thinking, I should do something. I should force something to happen. You know, nothing is happening. Why is nothing happening? I think it's very important in in those moments to take a step back, relax, and just trust the process and let it go, you know, and just get on with doing something else you know yeah what, whatever that is and, and that's what i've learned and, and actually i'm quite good at that you know i don't know if it's because i'm lazy by nature you know but I, i'm good <laughs> at just letting go of of what it is i want to achieve and just allowing it to happen and again amazingly things start happening you know i'll get an email pop up or i'll, I'll get a message pop up on linkedin you know, or a, an opportunity open up to me and i think that's very important that is very uh very important so i think it's also very important important to reiterate the fact that you have underprivileged children between the ages of five and 18 that are a part of this uh, this club that you've created, this passion project. And further to that, you've explained how much effort and, and money and everything else that comes to it. And you've not really asked anybody for any money. So here's my question. Correct. How are you getting money? Uh, I did kind of over, uh, I did read a little bit that you were offering NFTs. Is that something you guys are still doing in order to help fund the club? No, that, that- 
fruition. It was uh, it was an idea that was put to me by someone in Indonesia, but um, for whatever reason, it, it, it didn't come to fruition. I still think it's a, an interesting idea, but yeah. maybe something I will explore in the future. But yeah, it, it wasn't the right time, let's say. With, with regards to Garuda Lines, you're, you're correct. What we do is we do offer free holistic football development and mental development, which I think is very important because in reality, maybe 2% or 5%, if we're lucky, of the kids that we will interact with or, or any any kid who wants to become a footballer will actually make it into football. Yeah. And of course, then what do we do with those other kids? And so for me, it's very important to make sure that the kids that come to us when they do leave us and go out into the big wide world, they are better equipped mentally and physically to deal with life. And they have a more uh, positive, confident outlook. Because in these areas and the villages that I'm operating, these kids don't have real positive role models, which is why the cycles of poverty keep repeating, which is why the cycles of mental poverty keep repeating themselves. So, you know, there's no one to say to them, you know what, you're you're just as capable of achieving the greatest goals in life as anyone else in this world, you know, as any Westerner, because they do look at Westerners like with this eye of an admiration where they think, wow, the Westerner, isn't he amazing, you know? Yeah. And, and I say to the kids, you know, if you want to play for Real Madrid, you can play for Real Madrid. Why Why can you not? You have two arms, two legs, two eyes, a brain, just like any Brazilian, just like any Argentinian or Englishman or Frenchman. You can do this, you know? There's no one there to talk to them like this. So, so when we talk to them like this, you know, I, I see how it actually affects to them, how more and more, bit by bit, they're becoming more confident in themselves. And then also we focus on reconnecting them with their beautiful culture, which is a culture of respect, very similar to, let's say, the Japanese culture, which we all know, you know, the way they bow to people. The Indonesians have a saline where they bow also and put their, or, or they kiss the back of your hand or they put their forehead and nose to the back of your hand. And uh, unfortunately, it's being lost, among, especially amongst the younger generation, and they're becoming more influenced by, let's say, Western social media, Western films, you know, Netflix and all that, and how to behave. And which is, I'm not saying that the West is bad or anything. There's a lot of amazing stuff we can learn from Western culture, but there's certain elements to it where which are completely opposite to Indonesian culture. I think the respect element that is uh, prevalent in Indonesian culture is something that should be kept and cherished and nurtured. So um, we make it a point for our kids to not only reconnect, but to represent Indonesian culture, not only on the field, but off the field when they go back home to their communities. Because like I said, he's being a loss amongst the energy generation and their parents. Yeah. So we, we make it uh, uh, of importance to do that and to also respect their community in terms of going back to the waste management message, you know, keeping the area clean. So, so every week we are actually <clears throat> at present, while we are waiting for our field, which is being built, by a local property uh, property company for us. While we're waiting for that to happen, we are actually using someone else's piece of land to play our football matches and our training matches. Yeah. And each t- 
time we go there, it is literally littered with rubbish. Because unfortunately, there is a culture here in Indonesia where religiously they are very clean people and uh, physically they are clean people, but they do not respect their their country in the terms of the way they throw rubbish about. I think they are the second in the world in terms of plastic pollution. So they just throw rubbish willy-nilly. So every every uh, training session we go, the ground is full of rubbish. Now the first time I went, I said to the kids, "Okay, kids, let's go and pick this rubbish up." Yeah. And they looked at me like I was a madman, and they're like, <laughs> "Yeah, but why? You know, why should we pick this up? This isn't our rubbish." And I said to them, "You know, you are absolutely correct. It's not your rubbish." And I understand how you feel, but it is your country. This is Indonesian land, and you must love and respect your land. And it's also part of your faith, you know, which is being clean, cleanliness. Yeah. So let's pick it up. And when you go back home to your community and you see rubbish, pick it up. Because remember, this is your country and you should be proud of your country. This message now is just part of their life. It's automatic. So when we go to, we've been to about four or five tournaments and we've got absolutely trounced on the field, which doesn't bother me at all because I know we are not just about the football. We are, as I say, we are part about building good human beings, positive, impactful human beings. And the football stuff will come in down further down the line. Yeah. But when we go to these tournaments and we've been trounced, literally everyone, I mean, from the officials to fellow players, to fellow coaches, to the fans, they all come to us and say, we are amazed by the behavior of your kids. They are so respectful. And we can't believe that the minute they stepped into the stadium or to wherever it is we're playing, they just started going around the stadium and picking up rubbish, even between our legs, without even being asked. And and I tell them, yes, because this is what we teach them, to respect Indonesia and keep it clean. So, of course, they go home with that message as well. You know, so these are things that I'm very uh, focused on impacting on their lives, not just the football stuff, which is important, but I think more important is the messages that they go back to their communities and they can teach their community to impart uh, to others themselves. Wow. I have to say I'm a little bit speechless, like, you know, just thinking back to your original story of how, you know, you came and how you were uh, from the streets of England to how you are in Indonesia and the example that you've created for these young people to not only respect their land, but how to, you know, remember their culture and to not necessarily put Western society aside, but to maybe put their own culture and respect first and foremost and how it's being recognized by other people at different tournaments as you as you bring these these teams around to be uh, seen, if you will. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I think uh, it's interesting you say that. I think when I think about it, I think deep down the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I behave the way I do is because I'm trying to be a father figure to these kids that I never had, the kind of father that I would have liked to have, you know, and I I do the same to my daughter, you know, I'm trying to be that kind of leader, that motivator, that inspirer of people that I would have liked to have had when I was younger, that's, you know, that I'm now receiving through, as we spoke earlier, people like Bob Proctor and that, you know, maybe maybe that's um, deep down what it is 
or why it is I'm doing what I'm doing because, yeah, from the background I came from, maybe I have every excuse in the world not to do this, you know, but uh, I kind of turned it around and, and thought, you know, I'd like to be the positive change in people's lives that maybe I didn't receive when I was younger. Well, it definitely sounds like this is uh, transformed tenfold, if you will, from what you wanted and not just your immediate family, but like the community that's lucky enough to have you and your wife involved in. Uh, yeah, yeah. nothing wrong with growing and wanted to uh explode and that's what it is that's you want to make it explode and it's a positivity explosion if you will absolutely absolutely now frank before we wrap this bad boy up is there anything you wanted to add in terms of if anybody wanted to sponsor or how they could reach you or any of that sort of stuff sure sure thank you um well look um i'm always and i am open to meeting and connecting with people who share the same passion as me, who can see and understand and believe in the vision that I have for Garuda Lions. And of course, yes, it's true. At the end of the day, we will need some financial backing. So if there's anybody out there that uh, could help us or want to be part of this, what I consider to be will go down in a legendary sense in the whole social impact football arena. I'm more than open to have communication with them. And, and of course, they can reach me via my LinkedIn page or our Instagram Instagram page, or Garuda Lions FC, or even my email. I don't know. Should I give my email on here? Is that something people do? Yeah, by all means. And I'll uh, okay. collect it from you as well. Okay, and I'll right. put it on the Podbean website. Nice. We got it, Frank. Once again, I think you're a fantastic human being. You know, I'm not in your country, Indonesia, but I think I can kind of speak in such a humanitarian way and say like, you know, thanks to your wife and you for going through all this hef- this effort and, and hardship. You know, there's a lot of people that are going to benefit whether they make it, make it to the big leagues or not. What they're going to gain from what you guys are doing is just, you can't pay for that. I think some Western countries could probably learn a lot from what you're doing there. Thank you so much, John. And I really do appreciate 
appreciate you reaching out to me and giving me this opportunity on this fantastic podcast. You know, I, as you said, you know, the word I'm not in Indonesia now automatically popped up in my mind. Okay, my new goal is to get John over here in Indonesia with his family and to get him to come and spend some time with me and see out see out what we're doing here. So so if you want, John, you know, in the future, I'd love for you to come here to Indonesia and see what we're doing. And maybe do an update podcast, you know, on on the progress we've made. And, and maybe, maybe, you know, we can do a, a video one <laughs> and actually and maybe scare a few people of the way we look and all that, you know, but uh, still keep the positive message. Well, I don't know if uh, you'll be the one scaring them off, but that's okay. I, I think that's an amazing idea, and, and I really, uh, I really hope we can do an update show one way or the other. Yes, for sure, for sure. Uh, once again, Frank, thanks for being on, folks. Nobody likes to tip, so that's why we go deep. Go deep, go deep, go deep. This is Go Deep Productions. Thank you for listening to Go Deep, the podcast, a member of Go Deep Productions, where we give our opinions like we have a clue. You can find us on all forms of social media. If you would like to reach out to the show, email us at GoDeepThePodcast at gmail.com. And remember, always go deep. Go deep.